On the Empire Podcast this week, the second greatest living Northern Irishman, Big Liam Neeson, drops by to natter about a walk among the tombstones, while five members, five, count them, of the Riot Club descend upon us as well, and it all gets a little out of hand. All that unusual movie news and nonsense on a movie podcast that doesn't want to get political, but we get to keep Karen Gillan, don't we? Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, the 47,628th greatest living Northern Irishman, in case you were wondering. The first is, of course... Brendan Rogers and that? welcome he's the manager of Liverpool Football Club oh, okay. welcome to the Empire Podcast this week I'm joined by Helen O'Hara the joint 47,628th greatest living Northern Irish person which means we're just behind Roy Walker Eamon Holmes and that bloke who walked off Bake Off in a huff but crucially and I cannot stress this enough Helen we're ahead of May McFetridge that is good that's news that's an inside joke for Northern Irish people there uh, <laughs> also joined by Dan Jolin the world's 182nd greatest living Colin Farrell lookalike sorry let's misprint that should read the 182nd greatest Colin Farrell living in a skip lookalike you know those people on Leicester Square that draw, like, you know, really bad cartoon drawings of you? Yeah. Right? Yeah. If I sat down in front of one of those guys and he did one of those drawings of me, that drawing is Colin Farrell. Right. Right. Let's move on to some Ooh. questions. By the way, quick, uh, get well soon to Ali Plum, who was going to join us this week, but uh, is poorly, so please Man get well. Man flu. <laughs> I got the black lung, Bob. Uh, here's some lovely questions. You've been sending them in. Here is a question from a man known only as Wayne. Uh, via email uh, Hi from sunny Sydney Australia I'm not going to do an accent because he could be he could be an expat Sure He could be Scottish We don't know We don't know I need to think of a funny nickname to put on the uh, sorry uh, I need to think of a funny nickname to put on the back of my high school graduating jersey Do you guys that's us have any suggestions as to any film slash pop culture slash anything related puns based on the name Wayne It needs to be less than 15 letters Thanks so much I'm a huge fan of the podcast Wayne. C- can I field this one? Of course Please you can. Do. Okay, I've got Hard Wayne, Purple Wayne, <laughs> Tears in the Wayne, Wayne of the Dragon, How uh-huh. the West Was Wayne, The Wayne <laughs> Ultimatum, The Wayne Supremacy, The Wayne Identity, Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2, The Man with Two Waynes, Days of Wayne and Roses, and Singing in the Wayne. You forgot Chubby Wayne. Ah, oh, Chubby Wayne. <laughs> no disrespect, Wayne. That's not in any way uh, a comment on you. I'm sure you're not Chubby at all. I love Wayne of the Dragon. That's my favourite. But yeah. have you considered Enter the Wayne? Wayne of the oh, Gun? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wait, no. High school guns, not a good combo. Yeah, the Wayne Neal suspects. Wayne Blanca. The Wayne Shank Redemption. Hmm. The Shawshank Wayne Redemption. Now you're just saying the word Wayne for no reason. <laughs> no, I'm Wayne. <laughs> you're Wayne. Is there, is, yeah. there a, is there a Batman thing? Is there like a Wayne Manor, Wayne Enterprises? Why would there be a Wayne to do with Batman? Well, because, you know, there's that, there's that obscure businessman in Gotham City called Bruce Wayne. Oh. He sometimes like appeared in the show. All oh, right, okay. Yeah. No, I didn't didn't know that obviously the Duke John Wayne yeah you could you could put the Duke on, on the back and people would, wouldn't mess with you because no one messed with John Wayne good good stuff I like all it the people who did and sure. all the movies and stuff but we must move on to the next Wayne here's the one from uh, Twitter at Rob underscore place Wayne we hope you helped we hope you did Rob Place asks what are your favourite slaps in movies uh, I would say that the best one is in uh, The Naked Gun where uh, Priscilla Presley goes to slap Leslie Nielsen and she slaps him with one yes. hand and he catches it. She tries with the other hand and he catches it and he is then slapped by a third hand yes. and no one knows where it came from. So that is my favourite by quite a long way. That's amazing. I've, I've, I mean, this, I just think, sorry, Helen, that's a good one, but I think my one is objectively the best slap Oof. in movie history. Oof. Okay? There's nothing okay. that beats this and I, I'm, I'm, I seriously... I think that can be backed up. Ace in the hole. Mm. Um, yeah. 
Mm. Chuck Tatum, played by Kirk Douglas. He's with um, Jan Sterling's Lorraine. Uh, and she wants to get out of that dump and she thinks he's her way out. And she's grinning at him in one scene. And uh, he tells her to wipe the smile off her face. And there's like some sexual frisson and everything. And we think there's going to be a kiss coming. And she thinks there's going to be a kiss coming. Mm-hmm. And she says, oh, well, how are you going to wipe it off my face? And then from out of nowhere, he slaps her really hard and nastily right across the face. And it's a really nasty, horrible shock. And if you're in any doubt whatsoever that uh, his character in this film is a complete and utter callous bastard, then, then all those doubts are gone at this mm. moment. And uh, the slap also receives a cameo appearance in uh, Clint Eastwood's Jersey Boys, which was released earlier this year. Oh, uh, yeah. They're all watching it on telly. They are, yes. Yes. All right, but slapping people, people, don't do it. Don't do oh, it. Oh, gosh, no. Don't do it. It's a bad slap. In the, uh, There's no film, good slaps. In film noir, you know, the slap was the the biggest weapon in the arsenal of many many a tough guy. And also a and femme, femme fatale. fatale yeah. yeah, there's nothing like a slap to uh, to just really get the blood pumping around the face. Jessica yeah. Rabbit had a good one, as I remember as well. Mm. Yeah, it's a good way to, you know, to show, how dare you, outraged, boom, slap. Uh, I've got a couple. I love a good slap in the movie. Airplane has a cracking one. Yeah. Uh, also from Sucker Abraham Sucker, where the uh, the lady on the plane gets hysterical, and <laughs> a whole group of people line up to slap her, shake her, then slap her, and then gradually <laughs> it pans along the, the line of people, and they have baseball bats and like crowbars and all sorts of stuff. Very very funny. Uh, I love. Um, I can't remember if this. Is, I didn't look this one up before because uh, this has just occurred to me. Could be a punch, but I think it's a slap in Raisin Arizona when Holly Hunter slaps Nicolas Cage in the car and it leads to the single greatest facial expression of Nicolas Cage's career. Wow. They're driving along in the car. I'm not kidding. I think people who know that film will know what I'm talking about. They're driving along in the car. He says something. She slaps him silly. He turns towards the camera and does this incredible Tex Avery, Chuck Jones, slapstick, Warner Brothers cartoon expression on his face that is just absolutely perfect and one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And I cannot let a conversation about slaps in the movies go without mentioning Eddie Griffin as TJ in the Juice Bigelow saga who likes yeah. to bitch slap his man whores, his he bitches, uh, with his pimp hand. Cool. Bam! Feel my pimp hand is his catchphrase. Don't make me he bitch man slap you. Don't make me he bitch man slap you. He keeps him in line with the back of his hand. Amazing stuff. There's, But there are tons, mm. absolutely tons. And as ever, we're not trying to be definitive here. So do send in your very, very favourite slaps to us. Uh, send them into our Twitter account where you, you can find us as Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast and you can email them to us podcast at empireonline.com as Wayne did earlier on when he sat down with his Wayne and he wrote a nice Wayne. And um, you can Facebook us as well. We're on Facebook as Empire Magazine. And if you're Bono, you can just insert your question into our heads unbidden. Just whenever you like. It's fine. It's totally up to you. Uh, but there are loads more. Loads more. Can I, can I just say that slapping is wrong. We don't condone slapping in any way, shape or form, except when Chris is being naughty in the office. Sometimes a little slap across the back of his legs shuts him up. That's not true, Dan. I just spray his nose with water. Oh, do you? That also seems to work. Oh, I've not tried that. Yeah. I've not tried that. Hey, Dan, what happens if I touch that? Ow! There you go. That's me, that's me putting line. There's a great one. There's a great one where there's like a woman crying, shut up, shut up! And then, you know, she... Slaps, slaps someone really quickly, and then they kiss. What's that one? Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> should we move on, or should we it's ask about every movie on, made before the 1950s? I don't know. Oh no, it's a recent one as well. Oh god, I 
question's really good, but I do wonder if we've missed some absolute belters. No, we haven't. I've, look, Ace in the Hole was at, is the Ace in the Hole. So that's how you get in touch with us, not just to pull us up on what we've missed in terms of movie slaps. Also, last week we went through a list of the British Expendables, people who'd be in the British Expendables, uh, were it to be a Brit Spendables movie. A lot of people yelling Sean Bean at us. Yes, Sean Bean would obviously be part of the Expendables, but he would also obviously die in the first three minutes. So what's the point? Spoiler. <laughs> be more dog. No, wait, that's not, that's not him. That's not him. Uh, that's I love Barrett. swans. That's him. What's the colour of the roof of the boathouse at Hereford? You ever seen that, Ronan? No. no. Robert De Niro. No, I have, but I don't yeah. remember that. It's one of my favourite lines in that movie where Robert De Niro uh, basically uh, knows that Sean Bean's an imposter. And he, he does so by asking him what's the colour of the roof of the boathouse at Hereford and the way Robert De Niro pronounces Hereford as Hereford always stuck with me oh, it's like, I, can't, I can't believe a Sean Bean didn't go Bobby mate Hereford it's Hereford mate <laughs> oh two see what you can do uh, time now for first guest or should I say guests of course the Riot Club based on the play Posh is about a very exclusive students association that gets very, very out of hand. And it's a veritable statham, that is the collective now, a statham of the finest young British acting talent around. And our Ali Plum, God bless him, he's sick now, but he was well then, went along and wrestled, not literally, with five of them at the same time. Max Irons, Sam Claflin, Douglas Booth, Holiday Granger and Jessica Brown Findlay. The results are riotous and not a little posh. Prepare yourself for lots of received pronunciation. Enjoy. As you can hear, we're at a table, water's being poured. I am breaking the record. Yeah. We are live right now. It's honestly water. For the Empire podcast. <laughs> Could you guys please, as we break a record from the number of people we've interviewed at once, <laughs> say your name? At once. Not at once. <laughs> <laughs> say your name and the poshest word you know. Um, Holiday Granger, legend. Max Owens, Chunda. Desmond Finney, gosh. Gosh, it's <laughs> the poshest word you know. I don't know. I couldn't think D- of anything. Douglas Booth, Chateau. <laughs> Can you use chateaued in a sentence for me? I got absolutely chateaued last night. Hooray! Yeah, or I should say, huzzah. Huzzah. Yeah, huzzah. I was going to say huzzah. Oh, shit. Oh, damn it. Ruins. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, sorry, and I'm Sam. The huzzah. The huzzah. <laughs> One thing oh. that this film taught me was the phrase, oh my wow. Oh my word. Yeah, that's a coin phrase. Which I've horridly been using occasionally, and I must stop. Yeah. Oh no, don't. Bring no, it. Come I, on, I bring it in, dog. I'm still bring disappointed by the amount of woofs that didn't make it. I know. <laughs> the amount of times we were just walking around set going, woof, woof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With a prep for this, how do you prepare for being posh? The guys that were posh here. I mean, you have to really start at the beginning when they were kids. So we went to, we went to Eaton, <laughs> and uh, we kind of met this young 18-year-old lord and he was he was so he was really charming but he was really nice but they were good at that age yeah and then they they, we learned about this thing called pop which is this club they have at Eton, which pretty much popular kids nominating other popular kids to be in a in a club where they where they they get their own clubhouse and they get to wear own they get their own special waistcoat to set them apart and stuff and this is breeding entitlement into kids from a very young age i suppose that for a very small the minority that seed is enough to create the characters that we see in this movie it was yeah. an eye opening experience i think wandering around eton for the day yeah. just like the rules and regulations that kind of surround that school and the reputation that it has you know it's it was quite literally seeing how the other half live mm. you know um, from someone who was not from that upbringing um, you know but it was really it was really informative i think and you, some of the other guys you had the opportunity to meet someone from like a, a previous club similar to this. So I think, you know, it, it was it was sort of, yeah, we had people on hand to yeah. show us the ropes, is what I'm trying yeah, to we say. We thought the script wasn't going to, we thought 
people can't possibly be like this. And we met the real people and <laughs> we had to make it worse. Yeah, <laughs> I think that the, the original screenplay based from the play uh, was taken up to Cambridge, shown to students, mm -hmm. and they yeah. came back with tips. The, it's not extreme enough, basically. The antics <laughs> in the script as they are are not extreme enough. So we had to up the ante a bit. I forget who does it, but who is it the, who's the person that opens a champagne bottle with a sword? Dougal. The barrage. How many times did you get that one right or wrong? Because I would love to do that once in my life. You know what? I have to I have to admit that they don't, they, don't, don't. they no, they helped me out a little bit. They they pre they pre helped look it's it we were on a very tight schedule. This is a British, <laughs> <laughs> this is a British independent film. This is a British independent film. We were did not have a lot of time. And actually it was very stressful. But yeah, and actually to start with, because and also what they put in it wasn't champagne, it yeah, was like, like washing up washing up liquid, and I sprayed it all in Sam's face. And you actually swallowed some of it as well, yeah, didn't you? It was really, I, I don't really think lovely. I think you thought it was champagne and it was washing up liquid and water. Was it a good year for it at least? It was a t I well, ask him, he drunk it. It was vintage. It was vintage. vintage. Yeah. Vintage. It was vintage. Yeah. Solid, <laughs> solid bubbles, bro. Solid, solid, yeah. solid bubbles. Solid, solid bubbles. bubbles. <laughs> you You're so contradictory. I love that. You shot a lot of this film, I think, in Winchester. Is that right? We did shot some of it in Winchester. Winchester. Yeah. When you guys were kicking back in a non-riot club way, what did you guys get up to? Because I get the impression you had a good time making this film. Yeah, yeah I, I think Winchester kind of allowed us sort of sorry, it was debaucherous my nights in Winchester. out. It was yeah, a great, no, it was a great no. time in Winchester. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, did, what did you do? <laughs> what did you do? Yeah, I don't know. What did we do? We're in some we hotel. Yeah, we, we played bowls. We played bowls. And, yeah. we drinks and I can't remember. We had dinner. Sounds we, like a good night. It sounds yeah, crazy. But no, socially this job was amazing. It's very rare that you get to work with nine people, other people your age. Well, actually, nine boys and three beautiful, wonderful, very talented female actresses. Well done. That was very good. And Gordon. And Gordon, of course. Yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about people our age. That's what It's rare to work with people your age, that many. If we could go around the table, what is the poshest role you've ever played before this one? What could rival this? I played the King of England. That's pretty I suppose my first ever job, I played an Earl... I was in that. I was in that too. Yeah. You played. I was a, I was a prince. Son. Oh, you were a prince. He was an. Earl. I was a prince. I was alive in one scene, killed in the next, and then ghost in the next one. I wasn't in it very long. I was a prince. <laughs> but I, I had to come to your character as the prince to ask for my land back, basically. And I said yes. Yes. Oh, great. <laughs> if you win it back. It's so sort of memorable. This show. Wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so I had a prince, a king, an earl. I've played a pope's daughter and a baroness. Oh wow! Holy wow. Ranger. Baroness. Oh yeah. <laughs> Did anybody do any Austin Powers just to make other people corpse? I think that, I, that was just that was you. <laughs> <laughs> that was my Swatch actor. Yeah. <laughs> Austin Wilde is. Austin. <laughs> I can't watch this movie in the same way again. No. Yeah. Oh, oh lady. I played a lady. Well, there you go. Not like not just like I mean a prince. <laughs> <laughs> I played a lady. I a I'm female. very diverse. Well. I <laughs> How did you train yourself for that? Well, I just, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I rocked up and there. I just, yeah. No, so that was that. Okay. I played a female woman who was also a lady. Wow. This is incredible. Acting, right? Uh, I know. Yeah, I just, oh, range is definitely. I think, is it, I think. Freddie was Louis the Thirteenth in in uh, in real life. Yeah, he was for a while. <laughs> for a, when, he, when he was eight, he, he went back in time. Really He's now the forty. In Three Musketeers. Yes, that's right. He was hilarious in that. Yeah. Yeah. Best thing in that film. I don't think enough people have he seen just how preposterous that film is. Yeah, and how how hilarious he is in it. Yeah, he's like yeah, he, hilarious. 
Which carries is, the biggest tension, doesn't he? Yes. Stomps out the room in his high heels. It's quite <laughs> wonderful. I, I wish he were here so I could tell him how he great he looks in a wig. Yeah. He really, really does. Because this is an amazing thing. If you go to your Wikipedia page, it says not to be confused with Sir Douglas Allen Booth, third baronet. How often are you confused with this name? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I have, I have no, I haven't seen that. Um, I have no idea. That's you the first time. You don't jump to your Wikipedia page every morning? No, unfortunately oh, right. not. It probably says some awful things. I'm going to have to read it now. Please do. I mean, who is this person? Did you look them up? He is an Anglo-American uh, aristocrat, and I promise you this is true. He is best known for writing a lot of Scooby-Doo's scripts. Throughout the 70s and 80s, joking. I That's am not cool. joking. Your nemesis writes Scooby Doo. But do you reckon it was his team that were like, please uh, <laughs> don't get these two mixed up? Because <laughs> this guy I mean, is really important. Well, I want to meet. Is he alive? No, I don't know. I'll look that up. No, I, I, I'll look it. We, we don't do it. Don't worry. Oh, no, don't, 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 don't put yourself out there. No, don't worry. <laughs> don't spend your day. <laughs> it's, it's not that. Like the that. next Empire podcast yeah. in search of no, the Douglas Booth. Right, we found him. <laughs> now, is there a particularly standout day? Possibly outside of the scene that when you were shooting it, because you had fun in Oxford, I'm gathering as well, because you did shoot there. You were in Magpie Lane. Magpie Lane. Is that where he's get, where he's standing and I help him? It's a very tender moment there. Yeah. Because essentially, I don't want to give away too much, but Sam's character gets mugged. Yeah. <laughs> in a rather superb way. Yeah, it's a very good mugging. <laughs> it's, it's a good hilarious. mugging. Yeah. And there's a lovely shot of your your head on a pavement. Yeah. Was well, it? my head definitely hit the ATM machine. I, it must have first hurt. Yeah. It painful. definitely. Well, I think wait, they wait, told wait, me sorry. not to. The ATM machine. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the ATM. Oh! <laughs> Busted. That shows he's not fine. Busted. <laughs> I bet he's not fine. The, the closest to any character that I am in this is the mugger. Yeah. <laughs> Did you turn around and go, no, 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 you're mugging wrong. You are... <laughs> you're mugging me. <laughs> you're yeah, mugging me all, all wrong. And that was a reference to someone, if people haven't seen the film, listening to that, I have no idea what we just laughed about. That's a reference to something Sam says when he's being mugged. When he's being mugged, he does point out that a pin number is, is should be just, just pin. pin. If not, yeah. he's saying personal identification, yeah. number, number. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, bringing up so one thing how do you read the lines? <laughs> That's a solid reason to mug. Yeah. <laughs> if I was ever going to mug somebody, I, I would. Yeah, I love the idea of a judge in a court of law just going, "Look, I appreciate that you've lost your money, but you were being a total yeah, knob." Yeah. <laughs> it was it was bound to happen. Now, also, there's fencing in this film. How much were you winging that? I was winging it quite badly. I, <laughs> I was winging it quite, quite badly. badly. No, no, I actually I did do like three three rehearsals but it was my 21st birthday the day before so ah. I, I was a bit sore but it was um, that sounded sinister I know <laughs> is, that, is that what happened that's why I was preempting that with the laugh yeah yeah no no I was I, I, yeah because we, we just went out we well went out in Winchester woo woo um, but no it was good it was it was fun I mean I had it yeah it was okay I did an alright job, didn't I? Yeah, I thought so. Okay. I believe it. I hope you got to keep something. I was wondering what you, mementos you guys kept, because there's a lot of like regalia. Did you get to keep the suits, we, the livery? We, we all got Did you? Yeah. Which I actually took to Toronto and forgot to show you. I thought it was going to take it out, but I forgot. Oh, that explains a lot. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yes, yeah. what were we saying? I mean, is that good in an interview to whip out a hip flask? I mean, that's it's a little... not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It makes the right impression. Okay, all right. I love a good hip flask. Nice but you know, you didn't get to keep the suits because the suits are extraordinary. There's that great photograph of the whole gang, not gang, the club. Mm. No, but it is a gang. It is a gang. And which I find, which we've been actually saying, well, which is really interesting, there was an Oxford student who wrote uh, an article about how in the films, they often, gangs are often shown at the bottom of society Absolutely. and like, struggling to get up. And then this is a, this is, this is a gang. Yeah. Uh, and you, you don't really see films about gangs at the top of society, people who are already sitting on the very top and 
you know, and that's it's quite interesting. It was a really interesting paper written by uh, in the Oxford student actually. Blimey. I'm not surprised that the initiation period didn't involve the rest of the the gang uh, singing the, uh, the the once famous song. Wanna be in my gang, my gang. Yes. My gang. It should have happened. Not should have happened. It, it was in the first draft. And oh, was it? <laughs> you tweaked it. Yeah. I was wondering with with this the centerpiece of this film being this massive. I'm going to call it colloquially a party. <laughs> what was the rap party like? Did you feel like you had to really bring it? <laughs> because if you don't really bring it, it's like, so I'm bothering at nine, I'm off home. <laughs> One no. person around this table really brought it. Yeah. In spectacular fashion. <laughs> Is it the man closest to 21? Saying yeah, nothing. but I always bring it in spectacular fashion, don't I? You, you brought do. the sunrise in in spectacular fashion. Yeah, well, wow. we, I, we, I got thrown out of some pub by some bouncer Ooh. dressed as Where's Wally. <laughs> I'm joking, and I, I think I was telling I think was, I was telling him he was dressed as well as Wally, which we really did not appreciate. I think he was wearing a red and white stripy t-shirt. What is that about? Who I said, think we can end the interview there. Yeah. Was, I love a stripe. Was he a bouncer or just a guy who didn't like you? Uh, he, he, no, he was he no. was a bouncer. Yeah, we were all. We were all out. dancing on a table, and he didn't like us dancing. Oh, on the no, table. He, oh you remember that? I we do. were dancing. We were dancing so well. Yeah. We were was this time. a Where's Wally club? No, it was a pub in Nottingham. I know, but the funny thing is you can't find it. Uh, <clears throat> Sorry, that was awful. Oh, that was actually it was, it was, that was a really good It was really good, but what really happened was, is that, really you know when Jimmy Carr tells a great joke, and halfway through he goes, I couldn't remember where that pub was. You know, actually can't remember where we were. My jokes are quite mysterious. That was actually really good. I like that joke. That's Thank my that's my quote of the interview so far. My jokes are quite mysterious. <laughs> but then we all had the, the after party in a house that had no furniture, oh, which yeah. was you had an after very spooky, right. which yeah, spooky like, feeling. Yeah, is that the another name like for a pub? The house with no, no furniture. It was a producer's friend's house. Who was he was staying in, and I don't think we were really allowed to be there. <laughs> Well, they called the police. Yeah. Did they really? They had a police. Did I, I had just left uh, them. Oh, damn. How satisfying is it to throw glasses on the floor? Because I got the impression that you were doing it not because the director told you to, you were just doing it. Um, I mean, they weren't real glasses, were they? No, they were like sugar glass, which I actually find more enjoyable. They break. Yeah. They yeah. just explode. Like they, yeah. they quite literally explode but, in all shapes and sizes. If, but if you show a champagne sugar glass, sometimes you throw it like that and it snaps before it even leaves your hands. <laughs> <laughs> you're that you're like, strong. Oh yeah, you're like, oh. yeah. I break stems with my merest thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> now, in the play, the original play, there is some a cappella, I gather, that's yeah, involved. There is. Were you ever worried when you signed up for this that you might be obliged to sing? Again, I thought I thought it was... Yeah, <laughs> it was that was the only reason I signed up You do sing in the film. It was amazing the amount of people that didn't know the national anthem, myself included. Uh, there were quite a few of us. Well, there was a certain the, yeah, the whole thing, the whole thing. Yeah, I, I mean, everyone knows like first two lines. Yeah, to try yeah. and get us to all sing it in time was an absolute. I don't know how we had to eventually get Ollie Alexander, who's in this now very successful band, years and years, to sort of like sing sing along to get us to go yeah. do the right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was like a yeah. tonal starter. Yeah, because we were so useless. Sam down and a mm, octave. Mm. Yeah. Was it like the difference between God save the Queen and God save our Queen? There was some. There was a one line that kept all getting mixed up. I remember up. like a, like nearly an hour discussion with voice coaches about whether you were saying R or R. I don't want to speak on behalf of our beloved monarch, but I genuinely don't think she minds. So what happens when you've got a different accent? If someone's singing about you, saying how you're great. I know. The Take vocal coach is really good. Take it. She's got a 
got her own theme tune. She's got her own bloody house yeah. that's in the middle. Anyway, um, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much to everyone for agreeing. We've been in a round table. I feel this is very royal. And would you like to all just say goodbye to your microphones and also to our listeners of the Empire Podcast? Goodbye, microphone. Goodbye, Mr. Microphone. <laughs> goodbye. This is so lovely. Bye, microphone. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> About the joke. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks, you guys. See you next time. Thank you. Bye. Can I keep him? Of course. He's so cute. Oh, he's so tiny. Rioter stuff. Let's move on to movie news. We have bloody tons of the stuff to get through this week. Where should we begin? Let me just begin by um, mentioning that we have unveiled our subs cover for the next issue a little bit early this month because it's a very, very special one. Christopher Nolan himself was involved in handpicking the image for our interstellar cover and it shows uh, Matthew McConaughey's Cooper in all his glory in all his spacesuit uh, on a very alien looking world so uh, if you haven't seen that already do check it out uh, it, it is also going to be the poster for the film now uh, and we also have that on the site so uh, so do have a look at it we will have all the information about that issue of the magazine which is a very exciting one mm. uh, next week when it actually comes out Dan of course was on set and wrote Every word of that coverage, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, mm. spaceships and robots and space. Oh my, good, good, good. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it worth looking forward to, Dan? Is it? Uh, I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, from what I've seen. Yeah, I think it's going to be amazing. I meant, um, I meant your your feature, not not. Oh, sorry, I thought the film itself. The film, the, the film's fi- given. Well, you know, I, I, I've, I've people who have read the feature have said they liked it, so I'm pleased with it. And that's um, you, your wife. And and, and and Ian Nathan, okay. <laughs> all at the same time. <laughs> the two most important people in your life. Yes, um, but yeah, no, it was it was great. I was I was I was I was invited onto the sets. I got to wander around the sets and sit inside the spaceships and um, <laughs> and everything. I sat where Matthew McConaughey sits in the film. I got to see lots of concept art. I got to see a little a little bit of the film itself a few awesome. months later, which uh, I was asked not to describe anything of because you know Christopher Nolan is a very uh, secretive man. So that's mm. fair enough. But I was very impressed. Come back next week and tell us all about it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. To make sure you never miss a subscriber's cover, you can subscribe to Empire Magazine right now. There are incredible deals out there. Go to greatmagazines.co.uk and there we are. Nice and simple. Uh, Cool. Right. What else? Well, um, there's some sort of interlinked movie news this week. Why don't you start with your story, Dan, and then okay. I will follow that up with two others All right, flow from it. It's like a tag team of stories. Mm. Yeah, well, they're kind of... This is one's about Skull Island. Now, as I think anyone knows, Skull Island is the home of one Mr. Kong, first name King. First piece of casting news for this film, and this is exciting, it's Tom Hiddleston. Ooh. Tom Hiddleston's going to be going there, going to Skull Island. Well, we assume that. So there's not a huge amount of detail about it uh, at the moment. So we don't know who Tom is playing. Our guess, I think, is that he's some kind of, you know, intrepid explorer slash hunter kind of guy. Uh, but we don't know even the time, you know, the time period that this film is set. I mean, this could be as far back as, you know, this could be 18th century. You know, he could be a swashbuckler for all we know. Or this could be, you know, Victorian era. They could be playing on the idea of, you know, the spread of empire in, in the Victorian era or something like that. So it is going to be before the 1930s. And um, another interesting element is that it's legendary are doing this, who also did Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And the scriptwriter is Max Borenstein, who is the credited scriptwriter on Godzilla. So Ooh. could there be some kind of crossoverness brewing? 
So sort of a Monster Island thing almost. Yeah, maybe. There have been crossovers in the past, haven't there, between Godzilla and King Kong? Yes, Mm -hmm. they have. He has fought King Kong. Godzilla has fought King Kong. So, yeah. yeah. That's certainly something that was a a lot of speculation. Because obviously shared universes are are now the in thing. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of speculation at Comic-Con when Skull Island was unfailed that... King Kong and Godzilla might crop up at some point in mm. the same movie. Of course, the fact that Godzilla is about how long tall is he now in this one? Three hundred feet? Yeah, about like that. that. Yeah, and King Kong is not that. Uh, that Godzilla could use him to maybe just clean his bottom, his bottom with, and and move on. Mm. I'm not sure his his arms are long enough. Really, Godzilla's arms might not reach his bottom. Maybe he should curl up King yeah. Kong in his tail. And, Absolutely. And, oh, okay, and fair down enough. And under. So we I don't know how prehensile his tail is, though. No. If we ever did pint of milk with Godzilla and we asked him how hairy his arse is on a scale of one to ten, he would say ten because King Kong is wedged in there. Um, <laughs> mm. So that would be the answer to that one. Uh, yeah, really interesting. At the the Skull Island uh, teaser, which they unveiled at Comic Con, had a very English actor voiceover, and we were all desperately trying to place a voice. I do wonder if it was T. Hitty oh, at right. the time, but okay. I'm pretty sure we would have guessed which voice that was but mm. it's, it's very very interesting okay. that he's done this yeah, I can imagine a Victorian sort of steampunky looking explorer's tail could be quite cool mm. I can imagine but, Tom Hiddleston in a pith helmet oh yeah easily yeah, yeah. Born, born to wear one yes uh, but that does actually bring us on to a couple more stories that are kind of related um, now Tom Hiddleston as you may remember was in was being targeted for the lead in the new version of Ben-Hur um, he was he was being courted. He was being talked up for the role. Um, now he appears to be out of the picture because of Skull Island, apart from anything else. Um, and the latest story is that Jack Houston will be playing that role. Um, so he would yeah. be taking stepping into what could have been the sandals of T. Hiddy, as we are currently calling him, apparently. And uh, and yeah, playing the the Jewish prince who is uh, friends with a Roman growing up, but who is, through his machinations, sold into slavery and then comes back for revenge in the classic climactic chariot race. Blimey. Yar. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's going to be Jack Houston. Now, the interesting thing about that, in turn, <laughs> is that Jack Houston had been rumoured as one of the contenders for Doctor Strange. And one would imagine that mm-hmm. this rather puts him out of the running for that, because probably, I would have thought, the timings would sort of be incompatible. Now, there might be some wiggle room there. He could mm-hmm. still be in the frame for both. But it might mean that the casting for Doctor Strange is, uh, is open again, or that Joaquin Phoenix is now the frontrunner. I still can't see. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll probably be proved wrong within seconds of this podcast being launched. I still can't see Whacking Phoenix of all people signing up for a franchise. I just can't see it. Yeah, it does seem a little unlikely. It's it. Yeah, I mean, this is a man who shuns publicity, and he'd be required to be out there doing the publicity trail. That's just one reason why I think he wouldn't do it. I think there are probably a myriad other reasons. But th- th- this is interesting. I feel, and I don't want to prejudge movies. Sure. We don't. We you know. We don't but do that. I feel that Hiddleston's dodged a bullet here. With Ben Hur. Yeah. I really do. Uh, Timur Begmambatov. I just cannot see this. I, I just. I mean, yes, he can do epic. Yes, he's crazy in his own way. But I don't know. I think there's just something about him. I think he's too overblown as a director. I can see what his Ben Hur is going to look like, and I'm already cringing a little bit. Maybe he can get back to, you know, more like he was with. Uh with Nightwatch where I think he showed some real kind of restraint as well as some flair and mm. you know he, I don't know I, I, I'm i I'm not excited by Ben-Hur the, the, the period and the story doesn't really float my boat particularly but at the same time it, you know who doesn't love a little bit of Romans 
<laughs> True. Uh, but also, I hope they're not trying to launch a franchise here. I hope it's not, you know what I mean? It's like Ben-Hur and then spin-offs and there's a Ben-Hur shared universe, a Ben-Hur universe. I, I just, uh, you know, keep it one movie. Make it long. You know, you know one important good. character in Ben-Hur? Mm-hmm. Jesus. Jesus. Our Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest hero of them all. Yes, indeed. But the funny thing, if you go, if you go, that chariot race isn't the end of the film. It goes on. It goes on forever after that chariot. It goes yeah. on and on and on, and it's like, <laughs> come on, come on, just end now already. I don't want to hear all this. I don't want to watch all this. So I hope Tima sorts yeah. that out. Yeah, sort it out, Tima. Yeah. <laughs> and actually makes it the kick-ass action film it should have been. Correct. Also, good, you know, as much as we, as much as I think personally that Hiddleston may have dodged a bullet with this, it is interesting to see Jack Houston, who's a man who's been on the cusp, I think, for a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, was it, he was at one of the movie cons, wasn't he? He was with, at one of the movie cons. Uh, Outlander? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, he's an Outlander. He's an Outlander. Very hairy. Yeah. He came in and uh, very, really nice very guy, pleasant. Yeah. Really, really nice mm. guy. One of the great dynasties in Hollywood, of course. Member he's brilliant of in Boardwalk Empire. So, yeah, well done, Jack Houston. And maybe it isn't a bullet that you've dodged. Maybe you've, you know, maybe it's going to be great. There's been some really interesting casting news on Pride and Prejudice and Zombies uh, this this week. Matt Smith joined the cast, hasn't he, Helen? He has, as yeah. Mr. Collins. Yeah. Uh, and if you if you know your Pride and Prejudice, you know that Mr. Collins is a is a dweeb of the highest order and and just a, a grotesque little man. So it's it's very much a, a move away from, you know, any attempt to be uh, cool and dashing. Uh, by the quite cool and quite dashing doctor, um, but I could see that he can be. He can oh, be quite I think dweeby. he could. I, think, I think yeah. I'm. I'm not saying he can't do it. I think he'll be very. He'll be very good at it and have loads of fun doing mm. it. Um, but it is definitely not exactly a uh, you know heartthrob role for him. Weirdly, Sam Riley is Mr. Darcy in this, which feels like slightly odd casting to me. I he can see that. I can see it, can but see he that. hasn't traditionally played the sort of straight leading man. He's always had a bit of a darker edge. And Mr. Darcy, oh. while stern and so on is not necessarily a dark character although of course in this he, one there are zombies so hey he is presented as quite a dark character isn't he he's not he's not the, the, most, the most exactly you know easy going fella yeah he's not smiley but at the same time he's not sinister and uh, Sam Riley has a sinister edge for me does he? yeah a little bit oh, really okay yeah. I don't see that myself I mean in a nice way he's a, yeah. he's, a, he's, a, he's a lovely chap but yeah anyway got him joining a cast which already includes Douglas Booth uh, who you just heard as uh, Mr Bingley uh, mm-hmm. The one who uh, Elizabeth's older sister Jane falls for. He's playing Mr. Bradford. <laughs> You're funny. Not really. And then Jack Houston is Mr. Wickham, who's the um, this the dashing chap who who briefly sort of draws Lizzie's affections. So um, I don't know. It's a really good cast. I didn't like the book very much. I thought it would have been actually cleverer if you just dropped zombies into Pride and Prejudice. But the fact that they then turned the heroes and heroines of Pride and Prejudice into ninjas seemed a little bit uh, nonsensical and distracting and just, you know, stupid to me. Mm. But maybe it'll work better on the screen than it did on the page, where it obviously had to contend with actual Jane Austen prose in huge chunks next to these really random little bits of added dojos and so on. It has always felt to me, as with pretty much everything Seth Graham Smith does, it's felt to me like a geek t-shirt that's got out of hand. <laughs> but... I don't know. I've got to, yeah. It, the cast is very, very good. Yeah, it's so. very, very good, and that could be a good sign. The script is also very, very good as well. So let's keep our minds open, Indeed. shall we? Keep our brains open and uneaten on Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Uh, speaking of everything being interconnected this week in the world of news, we've mentioned Tom Hiddleston already with Skull Island. Very, very interesting news. This, of course, one of Tom Hiddleston's next movies is uh, I Saw the Light, where he's going to play 
uh, Hank Williams, the famous country and western crooner, and now his on-screen half-brother, Chris Hemsworth, is going to produce and star in a film about the doctor who was involved in the death of Hank Williams. How bizarre. Isn't that bizarre? I think it's bizarre. bizarre. Toby Ebersole. That's so crazy as almost to make me believe that there is indeed a supreme being who manipulates (laughs) our destinies. Yeah. That's that's astonishing. That's, That's pretty astonishing. Thor and Loki just can't help going up against each other, can they? So to speak. So to speak. Other big news this week includes the news, as yet completely unconfirmed, that um, Matthew McConaughey won't be coming back from Magic Mike XXL as Dallas. He won't be getting his abs out. He's a serious actor these days, don't you know, boys? He doesn't have to just get his shirt off. <clears throat> but hopefully if the role requires it and it isn't gratuitous, like, we'll still get McConaughey abs. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. That's okay. true. That's true. I'm just saying, I am available. What, as a body double? Yes. I don't think that's beyond the realms of possibility. Do you? No. And uh, very, very quickly as well, uh, Paul Greengrass and Matt Damon returning to Bourne. Very interesting news. Very interesting. And Frank Marshall has said that uh, it may put the Justin Lin, Jeremy Renner, second Aaron Cross movie on the back burner, perhaps even permanently, which I think would be sad for all concerned, not least the audience. Well, I mean, Matt Damon and Paul Greengrass have always said that they'd kind of return with each other if the script was good enough. Presumably this means somebody out there has a script good enough, and that's got to be a good sign. Apparently the idea has come from Greengrass himself and oh. his a longtime editor, Chris Rouse. Well done. Mm, intriguing. So, I yeah, I'd love to see a fourth-born movie uh, done right. Absolutely. Maybe, want- they should, maybe they should make both of them at the same time. Yeah. And then, like, you know, one of them can, like, crash into the other one or something, you know, like at the end of Blazing Saddles. But yeah, you know they're doing a fight scene. Screw Jer- you! Jeremy I work Remember's for Paul Greengrass. Yeah, <laughs> crashing into it. That would be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Bourne comes in and just goes no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah everyone else skulks off and goes home. Uh, and very, very quickly, I've just literally thought of these um, great movie slaps. Hiddleston got me thinking of Thor two, where Natalie Portman slaps both Loki. And Thor, it's a lovely return when they first meet for the first time. I'm not saying it's one of the greatest movie slaps, it's just one that came to me. Uh, and then that made me think of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, when Sean Connery slaps Harrison Ford and goes, Latch for Blash for me. And it's just amazing. Latch for 14, yes. Uh, no, Latch for 14, no. There you go. I just like to say, yes. And of course, yes, it's me, Evil Dead 2, oh, Bruce Campbell, goodness. as Ash slaps himself when his hand gets possessed by the evil. There we go. Thank you very much. Mic drop. Uh, Let's have a second guess, shall we? Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, It is, of course, an absolute legend. He is to name, but if you, Oscar Schindler, Dr. Peyton Westlake, Brian Mills, Aslan, Raz Al Ghul, Qui-Gon Jinn, Rob Roy, Michael Collins, and unforgettably, Keegan from Kroll. He is, of course, Liam Bloody Neeson, He's a living embodiment of the mountains of Morn that sweep down to the sea, the closest thing we have to Finn McCool, and he's added a new name to his list, Private Eye Matthew Scudder, in A Walk Among the Tombstones, a sombre adaptation of Lawrence Block's novel. When Neeson came into London recently, I summoned up my courage, increased my accent to nearly impenetrable levels, and sallied forth. Enjoy. Liam Neeson, welcome, sir. How are you? Good, thank you. Excellent, excellent. You've been challenged to do the Ice Bucket Challenge by Laura Linney. 
I'm doing one later on today. Have you, have you done yours yet, or are you going to do it? Michelle Dockery. Really? Yeah. Okay. She's out at me. I was going to do it over the weekend. I have a great scenario. I will do it. I was literally rushing to the airport. I haven't done it yet, but I shall. Where we are right now in a really posh hotel room is not really the sort of place you can tip a bucket of ice water over your head. No, my hair's looking really cool. <laughs> it's looking pretty damn good, actually, yeah. But I will do it. All right. Yeah. Okay. I will. Uh, of course, you, you, know, you filmed the grey on location, so I imagine the cold is something you can handle fairly easily. The cold for that film was, was it nearly broke all our spirits, <laughs> but we managed it. Yeah. Um, I had a great trick, actually, to prepare for that. I used to take very cold showers. I'd start with like 30 seconds and build up to like six minutes. Improves your immune system. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Was it lower your core temperature? Or I think it, it does. It? Eventually yeah. you do, so that when you're out in the extremes, you, you can, uh, you're not as badly affected by it. Uh, well, I'll maybe give it a try. I'm going to have a bucket tipped over my head in about two hours. So oh, you're we'll going see. to do it? Good yeah, I'm going to do it today, so we'll see how it goes. I love the film, by the way. I was a big fan of the book Thank you, man. as well. Were you aware of the book? And I'm an avid reader, and I love crime novels, especially all the Nordic noir I, I didn't know Lawrence's work at all, Lawrence Block. Um, I've since read six or seven of the novels since mm. we stopped shooting last year, but mm. I was embarrassed. I didn't know. And he's written, as you say, 16, 17 books on mm. his character, Matt Scudder. And he's even been uh, on the big screen before. Uh, with, uh, Jeff he was, Jeff yeah. played him, apparently. I didn't see the movie, but yeah. yes, he played him. And I, I think it's a, I, I think I read somewhere as well, possibly in Empire magazine, that you were reluctant at first to take this on because uh, you thought it might be just an, uh, one of those, uh, like another taken where you were speaking on, on I, the I, bad guys. My so, first read was, yeah, yeah I thought I'd, there was a, the inevitable telephone conversation with <laughs> a bad guy and yeah. thought, oh, here we go. But sitting with Scott Frank, the writer, director, uh, totally convinced me that it was it was almost the opposite of Tekken because the Tekken character, Brian Mills, is very, very emotionally invested in it's finding his daughter. Hmm. Whereas this guy is working for uh, heroin traffickers. He's got absolutely no emotional uh, involvement in it at all. Mm. You know? So it's almost the opposite of, of the Tekken character. Absolutely. And of course you get beaten up in this one as well. He's more vulnerable, I would say, than Brian Mills. Brian Mills is a one-man army, this guy. Yes. Scudder uh, is not. He's a wee bit, yeah. It was hard to... Uh, I've been working with this guy, Mark Vanslow, who's my stunt coordinator for 16 movies. Right. And in Tombstones, it's like I have to take a bit of a beating. In one altercation, and it was just was not sitting with me well at all, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a few books, as you said, and you've read about six or seven of them. There's a lot more than, than that as well to come. I imagine lined up sure. in your, on your, 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 your bed. Well, bed listen, people have been asking me. I mean, if the film performs well, as yeah. they say in America... Um, Certainly, I would love to do it again. I know Scott Frank would, mm. and I know Larry Block would. He'd love it to to be a series of films. You never know, you know. Mm. Maybe on television it might work better. Actually, mm. HBO or one of those really cool table channels, cable channels. You know? That'd be interesting. Can you see yourself doing that? Because uh, TV is much more, I guess, palatable these days. For it's for movie more actors. than palatable. It's also attracting the best writing. Yeah, because the the authors have a chance to explore characters and situations over a longer period of time. If you're writing for the, the cinema, you get a two-hour window. That's about the length of the film, you know? Mm. Yeah, some of these, these cable channels are attracting and have done for several years now the mm. best writing. So watch this space, maybe? Is that what you're... Well, I, it, as I'm talking to you, I'm just having the idea, you yeah. know, that if, That'd be the, if the studios don't want to... Um, get into those novels, maybe there's an opening on HBO or something to, to 
Devices series, you know. That would be fun. That would be fun. I was uh, talking to Olivier Megaton yes. this week about Taken Three, and just no one really knows much about that film at the moment. So he, he filled me in a little bit. Just wanted to get your take on it. Uh, he said it, it's not like the other two. It's more like The Fugitive. Uh-huh. Can you shed any light on that? I guess that's a good little pared down description of the overall feel of the film, you know? I don't want to give anything away about it. There's there's certainly a few thrills and spills and an amazing car chase down the wrong direction on a highway. Very good. Los Angeles, that it, when I think about it, it still makes me shake. <laughs> and how involved, how much of the driving were you doing yourself? I wasn't actually driving the vehicle, but mm-hmm. I was in the vehicle. Okay. For all of it. <laughs> and I, listen, I get dizzy on a thick carpet, so... Yeah. You know, rides at fairgrounds and stuff like that, forget it. Just signed up to do a film called Suspension, hanging from Bridge in New York, <laughs> George Washington Bridge. For the whole movie? Pretty much. Okay. But they can do it with green screen. You can you can be on just like a little edge. That's and true, be fine. yeah. But there's some shots that like, it's not that I want to do a Tom Cruise thing, you know, Tom, mm. Tom loves doing all that stuff. I can't do that stuff. Yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. This year has been very interesting for me uh, watching because I think you've embraced your Northern Irishness on the big screen in a way that you haven't done in the past. In terms of Bill Marks in Nonstop was born in Belfast. Yes. And of course, the Lego movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, good the cop. Good cop, bad cop. The uh, good cop voice, it fascinates me. Loved it. Where did the good cop voice come from for you? We were creating it on the spot. I was doing stuff with Will Farrell, who was in oh, yeah. Los yeah. Angeles. Mm-hmm in front of a microphone. I was in New York in front of a microphone and we were bantering back <laughs> and slightly forth. dislocated way. And to get involved in an improv session with Will Farrell is like <laughs> stepping into the ring with Mike Tyson. It's like terrifying. And he was just going off script all the time brilliantly because he's, a, he's an amazing comedian. And I can't, I'm not, you know. So when we got to little good cop, bad cop stuff, it was just on the spot mm. trying to do something. The opposite of this we surly Northern Ireland bad cop. <laughs> So Audi came. Audi came. We just came out of came out of fear. <laughs> Good cop is motivated entirely by fear. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Uh, do you do it at parties? No. <laughs> it's a funny film, isn't it? It's a great film. It's really funny. It is fantastic. One of the interesting things about uh, Walk Among the Tombstones, again, I mean, you mentioned it, and 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 the Taken movies, uh, are the phone conversations talking to bad guys. Yes. What's the secret for you? of good phone acting. Do you need someone on the other end of the line? Do you imagine it? How do you, how do, you do it? Well, in, in both cases, I had, uh, in the first take, and I remember we shot it in this, this very grotty little apartment, supposed to be my character's apartment, in Los Angeles. And Maggie Grace, who plays my daughter, was stuck in the corner over there. So, hmm. so it was, I was acting with her, which was terrific. Tombstones, I have a conversation with one of the bad guys and a lovely, wonderful actor, David, uh, and he was in another room. So he was, uh, he was, he was there, very yeah. present, you know. Okay, okay. Yeah, I wasn't just speaking into the ether, you know. Okay, do you have to psych yourself up to get into a, a threatening mindset? For example, that famous monologue in Taken, do you have to, how do you, no, how do you build yourself up to that? not really, I, I was... Uh, yeah, I remember the one on Taken. We did it in like three takes, and I was just very conscious of uh, just not overdoing it. You know, you're aware it's your daughter, but you're also a professional, and you're 
trying to keep your emotions very much in check, you know. And on the, the Tombstones one, I, uh, there's no emotion involved whatsoever because you know you're dealing with mm. sickos, mm. you know. One last thing, Lima, before I let you go, is the... Um, I was watching again today your amazing uh, cameo in Life's Too Short, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is hilarious. And uh, it's interesting. I wrote down uh, a list. I made a list of the list you brought in uh, with the things that you wanted to do yeah. comedically. Improv, stand-up comedy, funny monologues, crazy characters, sketches, slapstick, anecdotes, and parody. Now, almost three years on, how many of those have you done? And what do you still feel you need to brush up on? The anecdotes are okay. I've, I've You're good for those. Any number of those. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, stand-up comedy. Yeah, would you ever do it? That Could you ever terrif- do it? I could not do that. No? It's terrifying, right? Yeah, I imagine it would be. And yet, I, you know, we, we've lost Robin Williams and uh, a genius at stand-up comedy, like an absolute genius. I sometimes asked him, I, I was in his company a few times, I can't say we were friends but, mm. because I didn't know him that well, but I was in his company a few times and he would sometimes talk about it and uh, he just got so high on that was his thing, you know. If there were more than two people in a room, he'd be off. Mm. It's incredible. I, was, I shared a bus with him once. We were coming back from somewhere into Canada and we were being dropped off at our various hotels and there was Harrison Ford, Michael Douglas, myself, Danny DeVito. <laughs> That's uh, a hell of a bus. Robin, and there was a couple of other people. Right. And Robin started on, I don't know what, what you would call it, there's no word for it. He just started riffing on George Bush for maybe... 10, good 12 minutes, and it was in iambic <laughs> pentameter. Really? I kid you not. Oh, my God. And we all sort of looked at each other and thought, this must be maybe what Shakespeare could have been like. Seriously, this yeah. stuff just pouring out of him. And Robin was like that. And we were coming back from somewhere. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my God. And he just started and this stuff. It was like, where does it come from? You know? Yeah. Brilliant. He was just feeding off the energy. Of just everyone feeding else off as well. the energy. Yeah. And he had an audience, you know. A very trapped audience too. <laughs> I'm sure at no point did you want to get out. Amazing. When Rob then there was, I must tell you this other thing too. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we we all had uh, we were in a restaurant. It was I was doing a picture with Harrison, and I was his date that night. Michael Douglas was there. Anyway, it was the same troupe. A few more people, hmm. and Mike Douglas's telephone went, and it was his father, Kirk Douglas. <laughs> so I could hear him go, "Hey, pops." Hey, Pops, I'm going to pass you around the table. Some people want to say hi. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get a chance to talk to Kirk Douglas. Yeah. So the, the, the telephone was passed around. I eventually got and say, Mr. Douglas, my name is Liam Neeson. Loved your films. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I hope you're well, sir. Harrison said something. And Robin was sitting beside Harrison. Well, he grabs the phone and he starts on this riff about Spartacus. <laughs> I'm Spartacus. I'm the real Spartacus. You're you're a fake. He does this whole thing. All the lines from Spartacus. You could hear Kirk Douglas guffawing with laughter. <laughs> and eventually, Michael, his son, had to reach for the phone, pull it out of <laughs> Robin's hand and say, Robin, he's going to take a heart attack. And he was... Kirk Douglas is now 95, so yeah. he was in his 80s. Oh, my God. But he was, his face was red. He said, give me a... He's going to take a heart attack. Yeah, yeah. You could hear this man guffawing with laughter at Robin's spiel, you know? Extraordinary. 
Extraordinary. What a fucking loss. Huh? Absolutely, absolutely. But you've never been tempted yourself then to get on the stage and, and do it yourself? Never? No. No? My God, you joking. There's lots of open mic slots in, the, in London, Liam. They, they, no. you know, lots of places to take it. The Comedy Store? No. You walked on, you'd kill it. I'm about as funny as a baby with a razor blade. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a good li- it's a good line in which to end. It's a good line. Liam, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks. Nick Dissemian told me this week that uh, there was news that Liam and I did the interview a couple weeks ago. Liam, as he likes us to call him, is writing a movie with Bono. Is this? Have you guys heard about this? He's writing apparently. He's writing a screenplay with Bono. I have not heard this. No. Huh. But that would be interesting. It would be interesting. Yes. It'd be mega Catholic. Mm-hmm. I checked my iPad today. There was no. There wasn't anything in the uh, in the movies folder. So they obviously haven't finished it yet. Right. So talk of Big Liam means we should start with a walk among tombstones. Yes. Dan. Yes. You reviewed it for Empire Magazine. I did review it. Can you set it up for the people at home? So it's based on the Lawrence Block. Uh, well, it's based on kind of Lawrence Block's done a series about Matthew Scudder, mm-hmm. who's an unlicensed private eye and ex cop. Um, so it's. It's taken mostly from the book Walk Among the Tombstones, but I think there might be elements of the other books. I'm not massively familiar with with the books. I will I will hold my hands up and be honest about that. But um, he's a he's a good character. He's an interesting character. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like a proper private eye who gets you know doesn't doesn't punch his way out of situations. He talks of, his way out yeah, of situations. Does a lot of legwork as well. He does legwork. Yeah. He does you know talking to people on the street. And the film makes a virtue of that. But he gets drawn into this. I'm not sure how much I really want to give away, but basically this this guy pulls him in and says that his wife's been kidnapped and also horrifically murdered, but he can't go to the police because the guy's wife has been murdered is a drug trafficker. And he's played by Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens, our our current spirit animal. Yes. Uh, Not topless, I have to say. No. No. No, sure no, no. But he's very good. He's very good in it. And so he draws uh, Scudder in, and uh, Scudder has to investigate who are these people or person who are taking these, uh, these, you know, these loved ones of these other these criminals. And it's a really, really dark, murky film. It has, it does have have lighter moments in it, and it's kind of self-aware in the sense that it sort of tackles the cliches of the private eye genre quite honestly. I, I did enjoy those elements, but mostly I just thought Neeson was perfect for the for, for the role really sort of playing this really smart guy he obviously he's got the skeleton in his closet you know there's a dark past and the film does hark back to that and we we, we kind of we open in that past mm. and the character we're seeing is almost like more the kind of character we're used to Liam Neeson playing now yeah these sort of you know big swaggering action guys unstoppable one-man army exactly and it plays on that a bit and now we're seeing him you know this is 10 years later and it's actually set another thing i liked about it was the setting mm. it's set in 1999 just before millennium the millennium and there's all these things talking about y2k and everything's going to come crashing down people are worrying about planes falling out of the sky and it's really weird it's almost got this odd pre you know millennial tension kind of vibe to it which feeds really well and and one of the uh, as one of the uh, uh, characters in it says people are afraid of all the wrong things and I think that's one of those kind of very telling lines that's the uh, post that's the uh, the tagline I believe as well oh well, there you go there you go um, so yeah I really enjoyed it it's it's quite slow it's not you know it's not a big action film it's very very talky yeah but I, I really enjoyed it and mainly because of Mr Neeson and I, I like seeing him do this rather than do that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm fully on board with you as well. I, I'd read the novel before. Uh, I think it's a really really good novel. I think Scudder's a really interesting character. Mm. Um, 
and it's a very good adaptation. It it cuts a couple of characters from the from the novel, most notably Scudder's love interest in the in the book, who's a a, a prostitute. Um, uh, but yeah, it's got some lovely stuff in here. It's, it's a character piece for me, more than say a Taken or hmm. a Nonstop. Um, it's in many ways the anti-Taken. Yeah, I thought that's uh, what I said in my though, review. <laughs> yeah, even <laughs> even though even though it features Liam Neeson on the phone threatening bad guys. Indeed, yeah, uh, it's, it's it's amazing seeing that scene, but played you know for grown-ups. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, and he does get a beating in this movie. He's not unstoppable, but he's also got this real kind of lived-in cool, hmm. I think, which really, really works for the character, who has, of course, been on the big screen before, played by Jeff Bridges in 8 Million Ways to Die. Yeah. Um, I would like to see this become a series. I think it's yeah, a bit too. like the Jack Reacher uh, series with, with Tom Cruise. They're never going to break the box office wide open, uh, but they're going to be relatively cheap, I think, to make. And if you make one every two years or so, hmm. you could make... Th- three or four before they got a bit yeah. too old to do it and I, I'd be quite happy to see that happen yeah. uh, some really nice character work it is grim it is very very sombre yes. very very violent the bad guys in this are very bad indeed um, there's some proper nasty stuff in it but it's not it's stuff. not torture porn exploitative no. at all it's, it's it's proper nasty uh, yeah written directed by Scott Frank I, I, I do think he has a few flourishes towards the end stylistically that don't quite work but yeah I would happily see more of this four stars we gave to Walk Among the Tombstones mm. uh, do go and see uh, next up Helen The Riot Club yes um, this is based on the play Posh uh, as you mentioned earlier when you were introducing the in, um, the interview and it is the story of, it essentially focuses on two young men who've just gone up to Oxford, uh, Max Irons and Sam uh, Claflin are the ones playing them, um, both from very fancy backgrounds, frankly, both from very aristocratic, wealthy backgrounds. Um, and they're trying to sort of find their place in college, fit in, get to grips with everything. They don't particularly like each other, at least Sam Claflin takes against uh, Max Irons pretty early on. Um, but uh, they are both invited to join this riot club which we see has been going since the 17th century. It's a secret dining society devoted to decadence um, and uh, relying on the people involved being extremely rich and extremely well-heeled in order to keep them from really having to face the consequences of their actions. Um, It all builds towards the club's sort of annual dinner where the the 10 members, it's limited to 10, Mm -hmm. get together, feast, drink a lot and... I don't know if we can call it being merry, but they uh, they certainly let loose, let's say. Um, and on this occasion, things get even more out of hand than they are designed to do. Um, and that's where other characters come in. Holiday Granger plays the sort of girl from a slightly more normal background who Max Irons develops a little bit of a, a relationship with. Jessica Brown Findlay is a waitress in the restaurant where they hold this dinner. They've been banned from every restaurant around Oxford. This is sort of, you know, 20 or 30 miles away that they have to go um, and also Natalie Dormer of a Game of Thrones turns up um, briefly as an escort who is hired um, it's all very well played really good performances I think from everybody involved I think they've softened the edges a little bit from the play they've, um, it was adapted for the screen by Laura Wade who wrote it did you see the play? yeah Okay. which is brilliant yeah. um, but I feel like they've, they've softened the edges they've given us someone slightly more sympathetic to kind of root for um, and it, it doesn't quite have have the the punch that the play had. The play was pretty much all at this one dinner, 
um, and and they've kind of you know lost that focus by sort of taking it out to Oxford to the colleges, okay. widening it out to to their story there. So we gave it three stars, which is probably right, but it is actually it's a really fascinating film. You will come out wanting to punch a Tory, which is always fun. Um, <laughs> you and you it come out of make... every film wanting to punch a Tory. Well, I, yeah, I go into every film wanting to punch <laughs> a fucking Tory. But, hey, but you want to punch would, a Tory I... more this time, and it actually would make genuinely it would make a great great double bill with Pride. Um, we recommended that very highly last week. I think a lot of people haven't listened to us because it hasn't gone, you know, amazingly well at the cinema so far. But seriously, The Riot Club followed by Pride would be a genuinely great double bill about the UK if mm. if that is the, still the country we're living in when you listen to this. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, definitely. I, I would personally really recommend it, um, even with its faults, um, because I think it's, it's just really well written and very, very clever. Okay, excellent. Three stars then for The Riot Club. And then we're going to move on very, very swiftly to the... The Woodmeister, Woody Allen, his latest film, his 937th film in known, <laughs> in known history, Magic in the Moonlight, which stars Colin Firth as a sceptic, a professional sceptic, who's trying to debunk Emma Stone's medium. I would say she's more of a, a small myself, yeah. which is a, a good joke. Is it? No. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's uh, this is Woody Allen kind of maybe coasting a little bit. This is not him on, on Blue Jasmine form. This is not the biting and and sort of incisive Woody. I mean, which is not necessarily a bad thing. There, there's a lot to be said for Woody Allen just sort of having fun and being charming on the French Riviera, especially with such likeable stars as Colin Firth and Emma Stone. Um, I mean, who doesn't love one or both of them? It, it's, it's completely crazy. Um, but at the same time, there's not much to it here. This is a bit lightweighted. It's not terribly compelling, I think. So, um, so yeah, we gave it three stars. Um, you know, nice, but not essential, Alan. Indeed. As our review says, Stone is a delight. But then when isn't she? When isn't she a delight? Honestly. Three stars for that. It's a good week at the multiplexes this week. Fairly crowded and obviously art house cinemas as well. 20,000 Days on Earth is the interesting Nick Cave documentary. There's not a Nick Cave documentary. Nick Cave's in it. Callie Minogue's in it. Ray Winston's in it. Not as a giant floating head. We gave that four stars. Uh, there's also Grand Piano, which is a bonkers De Palma-esque Thriller starring Elijah Wood as a concert pianist threatened by a killer, played by John Cusack, during a concert. And that is well worth your time. Three stars for that as well. And uh, three stars also for Sack Brass, controversial, partly Kickstarter-funded Wish I Was Here. Does Grand Piano hit all the right notes? <laughs> it certainly does, but not necessarily in the right order. And that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week when I will be one year older. Hint, guys, what have you got me? Um, I think oh. Dan was going to get you something. I'm... Yeah. Weren't you? Yeah, of course. Mm. Yeah. It's really, really, really substantial. Good. Go out and get it wrapped. Uh, we'll also be joined by Antoine Fuqua, director of The Equalizer, and the legend that is Lee Child, the creator of Jack Reacher, pops into the pod booth to finally answer the burning question, which animal, when fired out of a cannon, do you think you could catch? Uh, to find that out, download next week's Empire Podcast when it appears. If that doesn't have you staring impatiently at the podcast page on iTunes, waiting for the new episode to appear then frankly nothing will until then until that glorious day it's goodbye from Dan goodbye it's goodbye from Helen Diddly. and it's goodbye from me I'm off to force these guys to sing happy birthday to me sing it happy birthday to not that you. one oh Dan you idiot <laughs> <laughs>